in the not too distant future. Following the rapid succession of World Wars 3 and 4, plus the hidden horrors of secret World War 2, there's not much left. All that remains is a place where folks get together to read and discuss comic books. Sometimes they laugh, sometimes they argue, but they always record and upload their transmissions. You've found one of those transmissions today. Welcome to the last comic shop. Live from the snowy banks of Mount Kilimanjaro, it is now time for the last comic shop. And on today's program, it's a repeat of sorts for those folks that tuned in to the live stream for The Cure several weeks ago when we raised money for the Cancer Research Institute. Uh, we have decided to uh, revisit the book that we covered on that particular program. It is Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man. And for those folks wondering why I brought up Kilimanjaro, for no other reason than it gave Superman and Spider-Man some place to go for a little while. <laughs> But in any case, yeah, it, it, we uh, we did that show back in May, and uh, it was very, very successful. But we know that there were some fans that did not get a chance to hear myself, the host with the most, Andy Larson, as well as my co-host, Jay Scott and Chad Smith, talk about that particular book. And given it's the summer, we might as well not do any work and just talk about a book we already reviewed at some point. Uh, guys, in a fight between Superman and Spider-Man, who do you got? Well, it depends. Is Luther's uh, red sun ray involved at all? Sure. I mean, it seems like Spider-Man, I don't know, that juiced him up a little bit. That was like some some roid rage from the old web swinger when he got that red sun. But that was Spidey in the 70s, man. He was always popping off and just punching people. It's like when uh, you have a really, really bad NFL team and they say, oh, I bet some college team would beat them up. No. Okay, it's 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 kids versus adults. You've right. got on one side men who can play the sport, and on the other side you have kids who are learning how to play the sport. So Spider-Man is the kid in this case, uh, and he is in college. So the analogy perfectly works. Name one Marvel character that you would put up against Superman. And you think that he would come out on top. I, I know who you're going to pick, but I was wondering if you would pick somebody else. Well, I mean, Silver Surfer is the obvious one. But actually, I, I think Silver Surfer and Superman, Superman might be able to go toe-to-toe with Silver Surfer. Um, Silver Surfer would have to take him to a place in the cosmos where there's red suns. And there's plenty of them. Um, <laughs> Uh, my question to Chad is, uh, what do you think of uh, Superman versus, like, the the God Thor that we read in the Dottie Cates run? Do you think that's an even match? I mean, he, he killed Galactus, for God's sakes. I was going to say, is Donnie Cates writing it? And uh, does he have something against Superman? Because that's really all it takes. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. If you've got an axe to grind with any of these versus fight, it all depends on what the writer wants. Like, they can they can pretty much figure out like some way for anyone to bit. I mean, Batman hung with the Hulk and didn't get killed. He leapt through a car. <laughs> I didn't know he had those powers. So, but yeah, I mean, all you need to do really is if you're fighting Superman, just team up with Dead Earth Wonder Woman, and she'll take him out. It's <laughs> true. That's and then very beat true. you with his spine. I'd be careful with Dead Earth Wonder Woman. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's always fun. I mean, these verses, eh, some people get really into them. I don't. I, I think they're kind of academic at times, and, and, and folks start popping off at the mouth about, like, ridiculously obscure facts. I think I'm with Chad that it all depends on the writer. Like, any writer could make anybody godly powerful for a second or two and, and pop Superman in the chops. It just, it just happens. But um, we don't play a lot of games on this particular program. We like to get into the books. But I thought we'd really quickly play a game of mashups for all of our fans. And if you don't know what mashups is, it's basically where each of us uh, take two characters uh, and we throw it out to one of the other co-hosts. And uh, they have to basically mash those two characters up and create a new character out of it. So for this particular round, uh, I will give to Chad, Chad will give to J.A., J.A. will give to me, and then we'll get to commercial break. So uh, I will start 
And uh, I think that I'm going to throw out to Chad. First off, I'm going to take one of my favorite characters of all time from comic books and Dr. Doom. And then somebody else that has a moniker before their name, Mr. Spock. So you've got Dr. Doom and Mr. Spock. Smoosh them together. What, what are you doing with those two guys? Uh, this is tough because I don't watch or care about Star Trek. <laughs> I know Spock has pointy ears. I don't know if Dr. Doom has ears. I don't know. This is... All right, so here's what we'll do. So, Dr. Doom, Latverian king and ruler and uh, all that, will forgo his crown. Okay. And he will travel the country selling and promoting his book about how to raise babies. <laughs> because everyone knows Dr. Spock is very famous for teaching people how to raise their babies. Oh. So he will secretly <laughs> use this book to... Uh, imprint his doom-like influence upon an entire generation of future doomlings. Uh, and when the time is right, he will activate them and have not just the throne of Latveria, but all, all of the world in his mighty, mighty metal grasp. Yes, I, 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 I've also never read Dr. Spock's book. I thought it was weird that a Star Trek character was a main influence in parenting. And so I just skipped it altogether. All right. Well, I think that was a good mashup. I like it. So, Chad, you're up. You've got uh, two characters to throw over to J.A. Who are you picking? Let's do uh, Warlock and Hawkman. Hawkman. Yes. Okay. So Adam Warlock and Hawkman. Oh, no, no, not Adam Warlock. Oh, Warlock. Oh, from the X-Men. The robot. New Mutants, yes. Ah! He's been catching up on his New Mutants recently. Okay. Warlock and Hawkman combined to create a new character called Warman. Okay. Not to be confused with his mortal enemy, Lockhawk. (laughs) That sounds straight out of Marvel in the 90s, Lockhawk. Both of these characters are brothers who have been separated at birth... Hawklock has been raised on Thanagar, while Warman has been raised by his biological father on Warlock's planet. And they meet in their teenage years on Earth. Can they be friends? Do they hate each other? One has been raised to destroy all the world and take it over with his technology, while the other one has been raised with the spirit of freedom and to just enjoy flying around with his hawk wings. <laughs> Which one has the scar? All twins. There's one that gets the scar. That would be Hawklock has the scar. Yeah. Can Hawklock be drawn by Rob Liefeld? Because I feel like that would have been a character Rob Liefeld would. Yes. Look at Hawklock. He's the yeah. new member of Young Blood. And, and the uh, in the penultimate issue, when they finally have their bonding before the final issue, where it's the big fight against the big bad, they meet and hash it all out at a 1990s era Pizza Hut. hoping that they would make bunk beds <laughs> it was just me it would be like stepbrothers or something i think Hawklock is a, is a slam dunk i would have bought a book with Hawklock in it for sure all right ja your your pick for me who are your two characters you're slamming together okay so in honor of the marvel dc team up we're gonna go with one of dc's biggest stars in batman and from the Marvel end, we're going to go with one of their most obscure characters, but dear to my own heart and yours, the Impossible Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is this is too easy. Uh, one day, Batmite gets tired of all of Batman's shit. Like, basically not paying attention to him and and making fun of him all the time and says, Nah, Batman, you're going to live my life for a change. You're going to have these powers where you can be ridiculous and obscure and recreate your body in all kinds of weird ways and nobody will take you seriously. So he just... Waves his magic, fairy, Batmite hands, and Batman, again, completely loses all inhibitions, becoming the new character of Bat-Crazy. And, uh, and ultimately, 
decides he's just going to have fun for once, which is totally takes the DC universe by surprise. All of a sudden, he turns into a surfboard, and he starts riding himself on, like, the, the waves, and then he turns into himself into a bottle of shark repellent at one point and hands himself to Robin, and Robin doesn't know what to do with that. He just ends up having a lot of fun. There you go. I just can't imagine Batman using his powers and gadgets for fun. That's right. Yeah. As I mean, Superman is, is aghast when he turns himself into his own Batmobile and says, Hey, Superman, you want to ride around? On these wheels, mm. it's it's fun. It's fun, and it's it's clever, and I like it. Then he he wakes up the next day, and 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 everybody's making fun of him, and he's like, "Why why are you making fun of me? I don't remember what I did." And they were like, "Remember when you were bat crazy? <laughs> and remember when we went to commercial break? Because that's about to happen. We'll be right back with more of the last comic shop, Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man, coming up right after these messages." was the three-legged dog of comics. It was bad. These two gentlemen met in jail, and then when they got out, they started publishing. It should have been mobsters instead of doing what they do in comics. Management there was questionable at times. Some of it has to do with people who go to jail. We are sinners. We have corrupted the youth. Stuff that should never have been sold to kids. And then there was Charlton. I couldn't quite tell what they were doing. Charlton was just a hodgepodge of weird titles. What is this? Who am I dealing with? John threw nickels around like they were manhole covers. C-A-T P. They were cheap. Hell yes, they're cheap. They were a special kind of special is what they were. Critic was horrible. You could smell them beginning to decay even as they were rolling off the press. At one point, they actually did have to move the comics operation into a bowling alley. It's something out of a sitcom. We want to publish comic books in the worst way, and they did. It's been called the street fighting cousin of Marvel and DC. Maybe you've heard of them. Probably not. But you do know the industry legends that called it home. This is Charlton Comics. Follow at charltonmovie.com. Oh, it's going to suck. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our review of Superman versus The Amazing Spider-Man, which, again, you might have already heard this. So if you have, just make sure that you pay attention this time. Battle of the Century! Oh, that's true. You leave that part out. That's right. It, it is very important to Chad. Like... It's the fact that they keep on saying it was the battle. Not a, I would have said the millennium, to be honest, because like now, like we're already out of that century. Who cares? Like, what's the battle of this century? That battle is Batman versus Snake Eyes versus Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> it is going to get the kids like that. They, they, oh, they've yeah. been buying those issues up like crazy. They want to eat that online codes. code, man. Give me those online codes. That's it. But this is most definitely a Bronze Age masterpiece. The greatest superhero team up of all time. Yeah. Uh, it's from 1976. And uh, gosh, a lot of people worked on it because it was a big to do. They did do a joint publication of The Wizard of Oz previously. There you but go. this is the first time where they took two characters from their their own rosters of characters and team them up in the same book so and do you remember why they did that didn't they want to make a movie yes david opst had the idea to make a spider-man versus superman movie uh which i looked up david opst and found out he was responsible for things things like revenge of the nerds later so nerds. we could have had a movie on those lines with these two <laughs> but uh the superman movie was already in production so they're like that's not in the cards but they put out this glorious uh, treasury size two dollar tabloid battle of the century with both their key characters uh, with a ton of incredible talent in there and speaking of some of that talent i'm just trying to think of and i'm just going to list them off the top of my head now everybody can jump in with the ones that i forgot but it was written by jerry conway i know that because jerry conway is probably my favorite of the bronze age writers because he was the guy that was writing Amazing Spider-Man during the Bronze Age. Like, he was the one that ended up killing Gwen Stacy and, and got, you know, Spider-Man and Mary Jane finally together. So, like, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Jerry Conway. I still read Jerry Conway books when they, uh, they're they put out. Uh, I know a couple years ago he was writing the the Spider-Man family when, when officially Spider-Man and Mary Jane were broken up. He put them back together and gave him a kid, and it was awesome. 
And and I think he got he got the job because he was one of the only ones who had written both characters. He had also written Superman at that time. So they went with an, a writer who knew actually both characters and so that he could play both sort of how Spider-Man is written in the Marvel sense and how Superman is written in the DC sense. So I think that was a good choice. Yes. Uh, the artist for this was Ross Andrew, although Chad has some interesting stories about that. But again, he's another of my favorites uh, from the Bronze Age because he was primarily the guy that was drawing Amazing Spider-Man during the Bronze Age. Oh, and I so agree. like a lot of the times when I think about who my definitive Spider-Man is, I'm like, oh, it's John Romita. No, it actually is Ross Andrew because I like more of his issues. But John Romita did work on this, right, Chad? That's true. Because this book was such a big deal, the uh, the big rumor was that John Romita Sr. had been touching up some of the Spider-Man pictures, which w- he was wont to do as Marvel's art director at the time. Uh, so he was doing touch-ups. So when the DC pages came in... Neil Adams walked over and said, hey, do you mind if I uh, take a look at these and take a swing at them? And so Ross Andrew gave the okay, apparently. And so Neil Adams touched up some of the Superman shots in here. Well, there you go. And it was inked by Dick Giordano, who was a big head honcho at DC. But also, so one of his primary assistants at the time was Terry Austin who you might remember from all his work with John Byrne and Art Adams and just throughout the 80s and 90s, making everybody's art look that much better. Or did the backgrounds on this book. And then uh, Bob Wycheck inked uh, three or four pages in here. Yeah, and, and at first, when, when Chad told me this, I was trying to find where the touch-ups were. I mean, the thing about all of these, these artists is they have a very similar style, to be honest. And when you have that many hands working on a book like this, I kept on thinking it was the times in which, like, it seemed like Superman or Spider-Man had, like, a halo around them. They were, like, cut out in, like, white chalk or something. It's like, a weird outline or something. Turns out I don't think those were those were the touch-ups. I, I, I could be completely wrong. I, I don't know which ones they actually were. But Yeah, uh, no, you can tell in the faces especially. Like, I'm looking at uh, on page 11 where there's, like, Lex Luthor's face. And it's you can tell Neil Adams had that... Uh, his style was slightly more realistic than Ross Andrew. You know, it was fun. I was looking through pretty closely after I found that out, which I, I did not know that. I, I picked it up listening to Rob Liefeld's podcast. <laughs> Rob Liefeld strikes again. But uh, you can tell that Superman and Spider-Man especially, they look like they're drawn by two different artists. You know, with the way the musculature works and the way that their costumes are set up, like Spider-Man's a much smoother uh, style. Whereas the Superman, you know, you can see more of the muscles. You can see more of the okay. the Neil Adams and, you know, yeah. those big moments. You can tell Neil was there. And, yeah, and uh, just to round out the, the who's who on this book, of course, it was edited by Carmen Infantino and Stan Lee with consulting editors, you know, because they're not quite as good, but they're also really freaking good. Roy Thomas, Julia Schwartz, Marv Wolfman, E. Nelson, Bridgewell. So yeah, a who's who of the 1970s comic book industry. Yeah. And I was going to say too, uh, this is something, and Andy and I were talking about this uh, earlier, about how this is tough to get a hold of because it's a Marvel DC crossover. Like I have the 1995 reprint. So back when Marvel and DC were doing all that, Amalgam Universe stuff. They reprinted these with uh, golden covers. And then they were also reprinted in the crossover classics, which also had things like the X-Men and Titans and the Batman and uh, Hulk crossover in there. But I had the luxury. I have the Treasury Edition and I had the, the gold bordered cover. I flipping through and I noticed a couple of differences. One of which, in the original uh, Treasury Edition, it's presented by Carmen Infantino and Stan Lee instead of edited by Carmen Infantino and Stan Lee. They changed it. I, also read an, I, know. I also read an interview where Jerry Conway claimed that he was pretty much the actual editor handling the day-to-day stuff. And just Carmen and Infantino and Stan Lee put their names on it. But uh, the other thing that was neat was... Uh, Apparently, whenever they reprinted these, they must have gotten their some of their prints, some of their scans from the Spanish edition, because there's a security guard 
can see it with Lex Luthor and Doc Ock are breaking out of jail. He's got the little Seguridad Espanol badge on his arm, but uh, it just says security in the uh, in the original. Ah! So, lots of little differences I was picking out here uh, as I went along. But it is one of those books. It's it's very very hard to find nowadays. As we'll get to in my initial thoughts, like that's really sad that it's hard to get a hold of. But uh, J.A., do you want to give us the 10 cent synopsis of what happens in the uh, Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man? How do these guys end up slugging it out? After a couple of prologues where we're introduced to the main villains and heroes of the story, so that would be Superman, Spider-Man, Doc Ock, and Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor and Doc Ock are thrown in jail together and uh, conspire to break out which leads us to probably one of the greatest panels in this entire book where Lex Luthor is piggyback riding on Doc Ock as they scale over the prison fence. Really hard to tell whose legs are who in that one. Once they've broken out of jail, uh, they conspire these two ultra villains to take out Superman and Spider-Man, eliminating them from the world, therefore allowing Doc Ock and Lex Luthor to get on with their lives without the meddling interference of their arch enemies. This all takes place uh, around a news convention in New York City. So Peter Parker and Clark Kent are happen to be in the same location uh, to watch this communication satellite get beamed up into space. There's a bit of a James Bond Thunderball theme aspect to it, which I think was around this time, so they they, they sort of cribbed a little bit from uh, Ian Fleming. Yeah, it's definitely Shades of Moonraker there, I think. <laughs> so, long story short, Doc Ock and Lex Luthor end up stealing Mary Jane and Lois Lane. There's a robot... No, no, sorry, it's Lex Luthor in a Superman illusion outfit hit spider-man and then blast superman with a red sunbeam so that superman and spider-man are on sort of equal footing and the one thing i didn't like about this and we'll get into that in more of my review is how young and and quick to fly off the handle spider-man is so spider-man loses his cool starts beating the crap out of superman who is weakened until he's not weakened and then you get some funny scenes where Spider-Man is just punching the crap out of Superman, and Superman just standing there looking at him. Yeah, are you done yet? I think we've been set up. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> they team up, uh, go to Kilimanjaro for some weird... I forgot, totally forgot about that. That was so out of left field. <laughs> yes. Uh, Lex Luthor's dastardly plan is to destroy the entire Earth so he can watch and rule over the Dark Husk from space. <laughs> Doc Ock not so cool with this when he finds this out because Doc Ock, you know, well, if there's no Earth for me to steal stuff from, what's the point? Superman and Spider-Man team up, battle them, <laughs> and and in the end, uh, end up shaking hands and you get a throwaway line where Spider-Man's like, I hope I don't have to shake his hand many more times because it hurts. Ouch. You forgot all about the free dinner! They got free dinners. J. Jonah Jameson never gives anything free. You can tell that Stan Lee had some influence on this. Because <laughs> Stan Lee was like, you know what's going to be great? Let's make J. Jonah Jameson give Peter Parker finally a free meal. That's complete fiction. But don't you know there, there is no such thing as a free meal? <laughs> he did have to go to Kilimanjaro to get this, I guess. On, <laughs> on spider skis. I love the web skis every time they travel. I don't understand how that works. Like, air skiing, like, over there? Like, what happens yeah, so, when he was so, on the mountain? To paint the picture, it's essentially Spider-Man has uh, shot a web out for Superman to hold on to, and is then looked like water skiing behind him with skis made out of web fluid yeah. in the air. Logically makes no sense. Yeah, if you're looking for logic, you're looking in the wrong spot on this one. Yeah, this one jumps off the rails so many times, and that's going to be my initial thoughts. I mean, when you, I'm hoping that nobody that goes into this particular story is going to be going into this with some sort of, I hate to say it, serious mindset. Because if you are, boy, you're going to probably put this down like three pages in and say, this is awful. Mm. Like, I, I, I don't believe this at all. They're not even fighting. 
it, this wasn't a spare fight to begin with, and I know power levels. And, you know, if you're going to be one of those people that comes to this particular book, then forget it. Go somewhere else. But if you love Saturday morning cartoons, if you grew up in the 80s like I did, and you enjoyed Spider-Man and his amazing friends, or the Super Friends, or whatever, then this is great. This is just fun. This is silly stuff that, again, doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense, and doesn't have to. It really doesn't. It's just an opportunity for them to get, you know, Superman and Spider-Man in the same room together, and let them have a fun adventure. And if you're in for that, and you happen to be 10 years old, then this is right up your alley. Yeah, and, and I love how they play with all these sort of um, fantastic tropes and then kind of just throw it in your face. Like, you've got Doc Ock, here's a character, a main supervillain, who wears glasses. And in the big fight, his glasses get knocked off, and he can't fight because he can't find his glasses. <laughs> it was all Velma from Scooby-Doo. Yes, how fun is that? And uh, surely he's smart enough he would have designed Rex Specs. <laughs> For me, my favorite part about this book is how much Spider-Man and Superman are both huge jerks. <laughs> like the entire time, Clark's on the escalator going up to the New York conference. Like, man, New York is filthy. <laughs> That's after he was fighting Lex Luthor, and his plan to defeat Luthor was to drown him. He just <laughs> shot a hole into the boat, and all the water's pouring in. Lex is like, ah, I'm gonna die. Like. There's your Boy Scout Superman. He's like, okay, I guess I'll rescue you. Right. But uh, between that and Spider-Man, like Spider-Man just goes off against everybody. J. Jonah Jameson, like, I love that scene where J. Jonah Jameson's trying to kill him with his bare hands because he he brushed in the pictures and the pictures are all just shadows. It's just such unchecked emotion. And then you get the feud, you get the fight between Spider-Man and Superman where they're on that equal playing field. And there's no talking or reason and it's like, wait a minute. First off, there was a Superman imposter that just kidnapped people. But Superman, being a giant dick, sees Spider-Man in the neighborhood and decides, Spider-Man must have done that thing. I'm going to punch him. <laughs> and then Spider-Man is like, no, I'm a giant dick. And they start fighting, pounding it out. And it was great until we get Superman, who's like, he can build an entire computer from his photogenic memory. And if he can do all that in a split second, why does why is he fighting Doc Ock? He's just picking on a guy with glasses. That's right. Yes, that is true. I, I, I mean, maybe I'm used to the uh, Spider-Man from the 70s because, again, I think Jerry Conway wrote him back like that in some of the Amazing Spider-Man issues where he could just be kind of like a, a jerk bag at times and fly off the handle and he was very emotional and stuff like that. But like Superman, he's just a smug son of a bitch in this. A lot of the, he's like, oh, by the way, you know, sorry about this computer, but heck, I can uh, build it. Or heck, when they go visit the those local natives and they're like, here's our most sacred drink, Superman, milk and cow blood. And he's like, no, thanks. Mm. Like, I can be a complete douchebag and just completely disregard some of your most sacred traditions. I'm Superman. And it's just like, it's the most anti-Superman thing that ever happened. Superman would have done that. He would have drank it and said thank you, and then he would have gone and done his Superman stuff, right? Act uh, like that. At least pretended. Yeah. He thrown it away at super speed. Nobody would have known. <laughs> but it's it's all in good fun. I mean, it it really is. Like, right. and, and like, you've got, where else can you get a, a scene where you've got this giant tidal wave that's about to crash and destroy the whole eastern seaboard and Superman just flies down it at super box speed and, and destroys the tidal wave with sound. Yes. Uh, don't know how that works. <laughs> that's pre-crisis <laughs> Superman for you. Like, he he had every power under the sun. This is, it, you know, literally. to me, to, to me it's, it's the Superman who flies around the Earth backwards to turn back time. Yes. Yeah. That would come in like a year. Two years. Absolutely. Now, that was the reason that they ultimately didn't end up making the Superman Spider-Man movie is because they were already in work of the Superman movie we got with the great Reed. Marlon Brando, and they paid him a lot of money. And sexy Lex. And he read his lines off of a baby. <laughs> he read his lines off of a baby. Did you never well, hear that? Yeah, no, he I had the have. baby in the scenes, and he wrote his lines on the baby. <laughs> 
Because you're Marlon Brando, like Superman. You can just be a smug son of a bitch and just get away with it. Anyways, we've got more of The Last Comic Shop coming up right after these messages. We're going to get our rating for Superman versus The Amazing Spider-Man. So stay tuned for that, as well as some recommendations of other times when folks fought each other. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, Brian Thomas here from the former The Batman vs. James Bond show and the upcoming The Night Cave show. Do you like noir, black and white, gritty murder mysteries? Do you like crime stories or even pulp comics? Then you're going to love Nick Palatichuk's debut graphic novel entitled The Greenway. It's 1968, and Butch Schultz, a black market merchant, finds that his friend has been murdered in a mansion in St. Paul. Now he is out looking for who did it, while the city's best detectives are on the case. Nick's graphic novel is already getting rave reviews, let me tell you. Zero Supervision Comics Podcast says, a dark, intriguing story that makes you want to know more. The Glenn Thinks Stuff Podcast says, it's explosive, captivating, and alluring. And actor Kyle Hester from The Chair, Zombie with a Shotgun, and Preacher Six says, can't wait for this book. You got to get on this. Order your copy today at Indie Planet, A New World of Comics. That's www.indieplanet.com. Hard copies and digital copies are available, and now digital copies are only $5. That's where I said it, just $5. So make sure you order yours today. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our ratings, where we have the, again, audacity to say to so many people, that are like legends within the comic industry that worked on this particular book. Does it hold up well? I think that's what we really have to to kind of gauge our work on. At the time, this was gangbusters. But does this hold up to modern comic book fans or folks that aren't nine years old? J.A. always gives us a rating scale for these particular programs. And this week, what is our rating scale for Superman versus The Amazing Spider-Man? I was going to go with, uh, you know, a Toto-esque Reigns of Africa-inspired something or other because of that weird Kilimanjaro scene, but I'm going to have to go with uh, something that was sort of a MacGuffin in this whole storyline, but I don't see repeated that much in normal Superman comics. Do you think it would play a bigger part, which was Lex Luthor's Red Sun Ray Gun? Yeah, it was super important. And again, I don't know why uh, Lex Luthor didn't just completely, continually blast Superman or anybody else with that gun, because it seems like the perfect way to defeat Superman at any time I don't know why he didn't use it more often. He's like, yeah, I just got to use it. Well, because Doc Ock stole it. (laughs) He made sure it went down with the ship. Doc Ock is the hero of this whole story. (laughs) And and what's the difference between the the Red Sun Ray Gun and Kryptonite? Good Mm. question. Leave a comment. If you're one of those comic book folks out there, tell us. Tell us what the difference is, because we'd love to know. We'd love to know. And what I'd also love to know is what my good friend and co-host Chad Smith is rating this particular book. This is tough. I mean, there's so much that doesn't make sense. They give Spider-Man a spaceship like that. That happens all the time. Like when you have like little toys. Like anytime they're trying to package a toy, they're like, yeah, give him a rocket ship. Who cares? No, I, I I love this thing. I think it's beautiful. Uh, the art is fantastic. Uh, people that know me know that I go gaga over the Treasury Editions and just seeing comics embiggened. Like, it's beautiful. It's so great. And, like, you can see the little fine details. You can see where Terry Austin was signing things in the background with this Austin bread. And, like, that was, that was tons of fun. The plot, it was just a, a, a chance to mash these two characters together. Do I think it holds up to modern sensibilities? Probably not. I mean, you have the girls that are just kidnapped, and they explicitly state that they're just damsels in distress. There's not a lot of agency there. But uh, it's fun to watch Superman and Spider-Man interact. It's fun to watch them both be kind of jerky to each other. And it's fun to watch them whenever they finally decided to work together. So it has all the things you want out of one of these superhero team-ups. So I'm going to 3.5 ray guns. All right. 3.5. That works. J.A., what is your rating? Yeah, I think I'm on the same page with Chad on this. It's it's very much like those 1970s B movies that would come on TV and you don't turn it off because it's just a lot of fun. The plot doesn't have to make sense. There's just things happening. And you go from line to line uh dialogue 
piece to dialogue piece, set battle to set battle, and you just enjoy it for what it is. Why they have to go to Kilimanjaro to do this, to do that, to do this, to do that, who cares? Why are Mary Jane and Lois Lane in the hamster ball? Who cares? It's just a fun story. Uh, I give it a solid three red sun ray guns. Well, I'm glad that... I'm glad that Chad brought up the fact that uh, the art in this book is tremendous because I think for me in my rating, the art has a lot to do with it getting a good rating at all. Like, I'll be honest, like, you know, if it hadn't been for like the who's who of fantastic artists that worked on this particular, all of which I love, like the only person missing from this Mount Rushmore of awesome seventies artists is John Bushima. I mean, if John had worked on this too, forget it. Like, I mean, then you would have had John Ramita, John Bushima. You would have had Neil Adams. You would have had Ross Andrew. Just so many great folks. Imagine if they put this out now or they had the sensibility where you get all the guest cover artists. Imagine all the different covers we could have had in the 70s with all these different great 70s artists. Like, you could have had a Barry Windsor Smith cover, an Alfreda Akala painted cover oh man just (laughs) (laughs) and that's the thing the art is tremendous and plus you get you know dick giordano on inks you get terry austin on inks again those are two of my uh, two of my favorites uh inkers as as well uh and, and so for me that that makes like the art in this book like a four you should read this book if you're a comic book fan for no other reason than the art if you're reading it for the story if you're reading it for like the fact that I want to see Spider-Man and Superman throw down, then you're going to be sorely disappointed. And I and I feel like I hate to say it because I like Jerry Conway, but the story is like a one and a half. You know, there's giant robots for no good reason. Lex Luthor has a plan to destroy the planet for the reason because he was thrown in jail because he's crazy because he just wants to see things get drowned in a title i i don't understand it and i think that's why doc ock in the end says nah i'm out of this because none of this makes sense and it's all wonky i want to just go back to teaming up with people like the electro (laughs) and craven because they seem to have one foot in this reality so i think it's going to come down from the four and i think it's going to be about a two and a half maybe a 2.75 ray guns uh it's not yet a three because there are better crossovers out there. There's actually a sequel to this uh, that's called, I think it's Spider-Man and Superman. It's got Doctor Doom in it. It's got Parasite, which I think are much more worthy foes for the likes of people like Superman. Uh, it's also written by uh, Jim Shooter, which I, I, I like Jim Shooter in terms of the, uh, the, uh, the writing duties uh, a little bit more than even Jerry Conway. So, you can check that out. I think it holds up a little bit better than the original outing. But yeah, two, 2.5 because it's still worth your time. If you are a comic book historian, if you like comic books, you want to see where things came from, find it. Read it. It's worth your time. It's like Superman versus Muhammad Ali. These things are worth your time and checking out. And some other things that are worth checking out in your free time are our recommendations. We always like to throw out some comic books that you should pick up at your local comic book store. In addition to Superman vs. The Amazing Spider-Man, if you can find it. it's Again, it's real hard to find now. Gosh, but these are actually, these other books I think we're going to recommend are actually, I think, a somewhat a little bit easier. Uh, and we always like to do a similar book, a current book, and a book out of left field. And we're going to start off with a similar book because it comes in the same freaking book as Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man, and that comes from our good friend Chad Smith. Chad, what else was in that crossover classics volume one that you want to talk about? Yes, well, while Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man, the battle of the century, was the first big crossover, and it was fun to watch those toys play together. Uh, The story, as we mentioned, it didn't entirely gel the entire time. But by the time Marvel and DC got around to the Uncanny X-Men and the New Teen Titans, uh, which was written by Chris Claremont, with art by Walt Simonson, inks by Carrie Austin, a name we've talked about before. This is the epitome of crossovers, where the dark side summons the dark phoenix, 
And the X-Men and the Teen Titans have to team up and to face down two of the biggest bads in the history of comics. And this is not just one of the best crossover comics. In my opinion, this is one of the best comics ever. I was fortunate enough to pick this up as a youngster. And it's one of those things where everything in this comic, it just gels so well. Chris Claremont has the X-Men do a danger room scenario. uh, And that's tons of fun. And then the Teen Titans break into the mansion, and you get to see the Titans interacting together. But like every single piece of this book worked uh, to perfection. And that's even before you got to the dark side stuff. And so I just think this is one of the greatest examples of how to do a crossover so that everybody comes out uh, looking great. There was even a little intermingling of uh, the characters where Kitty Pride and Changeling have a real brief romance. Uh, that was fun, and you get to watch Colossus get all jealous midway through. <laughs> like, it was just this is how you mix your characters together. It's one of the best crossovers and one of the best comics of all time. The Uncanny X Men and the New Teen Titans. Uh, if you can find a copy, uh, by all means, make sure you get get your hands on this one. Okay. Well, I'll go up next and I'll give us our current book. And uh, this was released in 2019, and it gives an opportunity for somebody with an equal power set, as we talked about before, to actually fight Superman. Uh, It's not the Superman that we all think. It's actually the Injustice version of Superman, which is still a Superman and is a colossal douchebag. Uh, this is The Injustice versus The Masters of the Universe. It was uh, written by Tim Seeley with Freddie Williams III doing art duties. Uh, and it's kind of a little bit of a sequel to a previous crossover with The Masters of the Universe uh, that uh, occurred, I think, a year before when The Masters of the Universe finally fought the Thundercats. Uh, you know, some of the fallout from that particular event were those two classic cartoon Uh, franchises uh, clashed was the fact that He-Man had to reveal to the entire planet of Eternia that he was actually Prince Adam. And so you've got at the beginning of this particular story a He-Man that really is kind of in turmoil about who his inner character actually is. Is he Adam or is he He-Man? Because these are two different parts of his personality, and he doesn't know which one should be, I don't know, in charge, I guess. And again, while this all is happening, uh, Damian Wayne and uh, a group of resistance fighters arrives on Eternia uh, from the Injustice version of Earth uh, in hopes of recruiting this you know, conflicted He-Man uh, into toppling the Superman that has basically taken over their planet has set up a totalitarian regime and uh, is, again, a complete D-bag, as I mentioned. And they're hoping He-Man can do it because, as we all know, Superman is vulnerable to magic. And that's where Superman and He-Man gets his powers from. And so, basically, it ends up being kind of a slugfest between Supes and He-Man. And uh, I got to say that... Um, One of the great things that I I picked up from this particular book and why I recommend it a lot, uh, Tim Seeley does a really great job of crafting a solid tale about the importance of maintaining your humility and your humanity, even though others might treat you like a god. I think that's kind of something that's universal. Like anybody that starts getting a more of a swelled head, if you know, if you're popular, if you're, you know, we've all kind of go through this. And, And those people that can kind of still ground themselves and, you know, still maintain that common ground and that commonality with with their their fellow people you know they're the ones that end up succeeding those people that end up getting the swelled heads and think they're all that in a bag of chips they're going to end up being the ones that the hubris causes the fall and so uh it's really well framed in this particular story that really he-man does need prince adam very similar to superman needing clark kent and that's actually the real the problem with why Uh, Superman went crazy is because he stopped being Clark Kent and he stopped being a human and having that link to the people that he was supposed to be protecting. And at the end of the day, He-Man wins, which is why I like the book. It's got some, some minor subplots with, I don't know, Skeletor getting the Shazam powers and Darkseid shows up for a little while, but it's really just a really well-crafted tale about, again, why Superman should always be grounded in the humanity 
uh, of Clark Kent and, and why that ends up being um, the reason why He-Man triumphs in the end. Well, I thought he was going to triumph simply because he's got – he outreaches Superman. I mean – he-Man is a six-inch figure. <laughs> Superman is a three-and-three-quarters-inch figure. <laughs> that, too. So wrong on so many He's levels. got a freaking sword, okay? He can stab people. <laughs> Superman doesn't have a stabbing thing. Like, he doesn't have a stabber. <laughs> Anyways, you've got the out-of-left-field book this week, J.A. What's our left out-of-left-field book this week? So, out-of-left-field is a fun book. I think it first came out in the late 90s. Um... The Incredible Hulk versus Superman uh, by Roger Stern uh, with pencils by Steve Rude. Inker is Al Migram, letters Jim Novak, and beautiful colors by Steve Oliff. And this is a sort of a throwback story. So it's Silver Age Hulk versus almost what I would say almost a Golden Age Superman. So this is like in the, in the time when Hulk is the raging beast just going around the, the the west of the United States and fighting the US army and Superman goes in to cover this and they end up fighting uh, because Lex Luthor is there is trying to steal some gamma gun from the government and Bruce Banner and uh, creates a Hulk robot uh, so that Superman and the Hulk robot end up fighting. And then Superman and the Hulk end up fighting. They team up, kind of, but because Hulk is sort of Rage Hulk, Dumb Hulk, uh, not so much. But it's just really capture Silver Age Hulk and Golden Age, Silver Age Superman just really well. It's beautifully drawn. And it fits. It makes sense that Lex Lex Luthor isn't some guy there who's trying to destroy the planet. Here, he's just trying to get Superman to fight the real Hulk so that he can then shoot them both with the gamma gun. Uh, so, I mean, the, the plot makes a lot more sense uh, in one of these than the Spider-Man versus Superman sort of contrived nature. And... It, it's got all these kind of nice touches. So it's a throwback story, but at the same time, they're using cell phones and fax machines, but also microfinch. And any story that has a panel or two of people doing research on microfinch, then you know it's going to be a good book. The old school librarian in Jay comes out with the microfiche. <laughs> I, I, I will say it's a book I want to check out because I love both of those talents. I loved all of Rod. If anybody knows about me, I, I've lo- I loved Roger Stern's run on the amazing Spider-Man when he made him fight like the juggernaut and he did all the hobgoblin stuff in the eighties. He also did the whole under siege thing with uh, the, uh, the Avengers. Um, plus you got Steve Rude who did Nexus. And I love me some Steve Rude, and especially any time you st- you uh, you get Steve Rude doing Silver Age, man, that stuff looks like it's like a page out of like Darwin Cook. Like it's just great stuff. Like uh, well, actually, Darwin took probably took his page out of Steve Rude because he was out before him. But it's got a great take on you know it's sort of the Gene Hackman esque Lex Luthor. He's still got some hair on the sides. He's not completely bald yet. That means he's still got a little bit of insanity, just a tiny bit. He hasn't he hasn't put on that purple tunic yet. With all the pilk containers. <laughs> what is he keeping those? I don't know. Pez. Very good. Very good. Oh, baby, it's all his Viagra. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> sexy Lexi. In any case, um, make sure that you also check us out every single week over at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It is our fantastic website where you can listen to all kinds of awesome past episodes of our podcast. We've got tons of featuring at least Superman. I actually don't think we've done any books starring the web swinger yet. We have to get around to that sooner or later, I think. Uh, but at least check out some of our old shows with uh, the Man of Steel, like Superman Smashes the Clan. Or we did Superman versus Imperious Lex. Uh, some some neat shows out there. So check it out on uh, by rate, reviewing, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, YouTube, Castbox, Pandora, uh, Amazon Podcasts, and a variety of other places. And while you're out on our website, you should check out some terrific what J A. 
merchandise. We've got t-shirts. We've got hoodies. Get yourself a mug. Get yourself a can coolie. Or, this week only, specially branded, web-created water skis. Perfect for the summer vacation. The weather is turning warm. People are going out again. You can go water skiing without a mask. What do you need? You need some Last Comic Shop branded web-made water skis. They only last for an hour, though. So once you buy them, there's no refunds. (laughs) Not giving any refunds. And you know who else don't give refunds usually? Comic shops. But you can find a comic shop near you in the event you wanted to find a copy of Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man, The Battle of the Century. Because as we alluded to, uh, they're hard to come by. The corporate overlords at Disney and or AT&T or whoever owns DC now uh, don't tend to play nicely. So it's probably going to be a long time before we get another crossover of this ill. So you can head to the Comic Shop Locator at www.comicshoplocator.com to find a comic shop near you where hopefully you can come across uh, some of these fun stories from back in the day. There you go. And until next time, I was the host of the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And you all stay safe, stay sheltered, and make sure when you break out of prison that your defiant one's partner has a couple extra uh, arms and legs. Because you never know, it just might come in handy. They, they, they needed different colored jumpsuits because the arms and the legs and the hands and the bodies and the torso just kind of, <laughs> it was hard to tell where I, I one like began how, and the other one ended. I, I like how Lex was just yelling, "Wee!" <laughs> it didn't look right, I tell you. It just did not look right. Too much prison hand. time for those guys. The last comic shop was a 2021 Black Angus production.